All right. Here's my question. We are uh, in several weeks into this series. Have you given any real thought, hopefully I've challenged you to give some thought, to your legacy, what you're leaving behind? My premise has been that all of us want to leave a legacy. I don't know anybody that cares. Well, I just hope I die and no one remembers me, right? I don't think, I don't think that's a human nature issue. My point is that actually everybody is leaving a legacy, right? Some of us, probably the minority of us would be my guess, um, are leaving intentional legacies. We, prior to this series, thought about, you know, I got to think about the way I live because there's certain things I want to hand down. I think the rest of us, and for, lump me in there a lot too, we're not thinking about it. Life's busy, comes at you pretty fast in the inimitable words of Ferris Bueller, right? And so we're just trying to get through things and what we're leaving behind are unintentional legacies. And we're going to look at those next week, actually. All of us are leaving legacies. Here's my question. What is yours? Literally, what is it? Have you given any thought to it? Now, of course, because I get to get up here every week and talk about it, I've given considerable thought to it, right? Now, coming into the series, if you had asked me back in January, hey, John, what would you like your legacy to be? What do you want to leave behind for your family and, and their children and their children as we sing all the time? Uh, what about for your friends and, and for our church? What would you like your legacy to be? As I thought about what my answer would have been back then, I think, and maybe you're like me, I would have focused on character traits. You know, a big one for me, I don't know really why this is. Honestly, I need some psychological help on this. If you have a counseling background, you could probably help me. But if somebody asked me a bunch of weeks ago, what would you like your legacy to be? I was, this is strange. I would have said work ethic. I want to leave my kids with a good work ethic. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good work ethic. I think that's great, right? I mean, I don't know if that's an American thing or a me thing. I actually did a, a funeral last weekend um, for a, a wonderful man, and by no means was this his primary legacy at all. But one thing that his boss got up and said, and which it just, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. His boss, in the construction trade, he got up and said about this man, in 50 years working for me, he one time missed one half a day in 50 years. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'd like to leave that. It's a good virtue, really, right? Work ethic. I mean, there's other virtues that I would have given you a few weeks ago. Things that I want to leave behind. Things that I want somebody to get up and say, you know, John had a good work ethic. Here's another one that I've tried to hand down to my kids. Perseverance, right? The Eisman's never quit. That's what my kids were raised hearing. Yo, you never quit. You never quit. Um, I love the Jimmy Valvano speech at the ESPY Awards. You know that speech, right? Never give up. Never give up. As he was literally racked with cancer, talking about perseverance. Perseverance is good. I want to leave perseverance. There are, there are other character traits, too, I would have told you. I mean, I would have sat there and started to think things, these things through. Uh, virtues. I mean, look, I can't fix anything. It's so frustrating as a guy. It's very emasculating to go to these funerals, and everybody's like, oh, my dad could fix everything. And I'm thinking about my kids are just sitting there going, my dad's like, oh, girl, he can't fix anything. I can't fix anything. Like if it's broke, it's going to stay broke unless Joan can fix it. And sometimes she can, but I can't fix anything, right? So they're never going to say that about me. So what would I hope that, you know, what were these virtues I was thinking about? Well, I don't know. As I would have related them to you a couple weeks ago, I would have said, well, honesty, I would like them to think I was honest, good right? That my dad's a good man. I'm not really sure what that means, but that's what I would have said. So I ask you again, 
what do you want your legacy to be? Here's what's interesting. In, in the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, the authors give considerable attention to what have been dubbed Christian virtues. Character traits, really. These things that many of us hope to leave behind, right? That are to be found, that are to be common to followers of Jesus. You see them in lots of places, and you're familiar with, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you're familiar with lots of them. They include things that you and I would like to leave, the things I mentioned earlier. Those are actually virtues. There are others, gentleness, self-control, righteousness, strength, contentment, hospitality. I read that one this week. I thought about my wife. My wife loves hospitality, right? I mean, not me. But she, she loves hospitality. She's going to leave that as a, as a legacy for her children. Any of you from a Catholic background? Of course, most of you are. You're from New Jersey, right? Um, we're all, in some way, from a Catholic background. The Catholic Church, actually, it's interesting. They speak of four, and maybe you know this, cardinal virtues, meaning that they're common to natural man. There are things, these are four things, these virtues that we should strive for. The, the four virtues that, that are, are uh, dubbed this are prudence, temperance, fortitude, and justice. I mean, those are good, right? Prudence is good. I mean, it might not make my short list, right? Imagine my kid getting up and just going, oh, my dad was so prudent. Loved his prudence. I mean, it's good. But then, are, then are, uh, there are, as the church describes them, three what they call theological values. And what they mean by that is that these three values are actually not common to man. They're not something you can just kind of work up through practice. In a very real sense, they're unattainable for man apart from God's Spirit being at work in them. That's kind of interesting, right? Now, these are very different things. And while I, I, I didn't know this at the beginning, I actually talked to you about two of them already in this legacy series. The first was faith. I told you, I want to leave my family and friends and church, you, a legacy of faith. I want to hand off to the next generation this baton of faith. This baton has been in my car, I, I think about it every day right now. What am I handing off? What am I handing off? I want to hand off to you and the people I love a baton of faith. Now, we talked over the last few weeks about what faith is. It's the rational sense rational of certain expectations. Then, believe it or not, and I didn't know I was giving this to you when I gave it to you, then there was this second eternal virtue called hope. I want to leave behind for my children hope, a legacy of hope. They are desperately going to need it in an incrementally hopeless world. They need hope. We define hope as an emotional sense of joyful expectation. Now, here's what we learned about the, these things from the scriptures. First, faith. What does faith do? Faith changes the way we live. That was in Hebrews 11. We looked at all of these ancient Bible characters and how faith impacted what they did with their lives. Hope. Hope changes the way we feel, right? We start to hope for things that are coming in eternity. But there's a third eternal value, and it's only possible to be experienced in its eternal form by those that are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, in its eternal form anyway. In a very real sense, it, it's reserved for followers of Jesus. The writers of the New Testament in particular are very clear about what it is. And, and if you were going to leave, and you, leave, you need to listen to me on this, it's super important. I mean, I've been weeping about this this week because I'm not good at it. 
if you were only going to leave behind one thing, if you were to have to limit your legacy to one thing, if there's only one thing that you could be known for and leave as an inheritance, the people who knew and walked with Jesus said, oh, that's easy. In fact, Jesus himself, it says, this is the only thing that matters. I would tell you, friends, if you get nothing more out of this series than just this one message and this one point in it, if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to give your kids an inheritance, there is nothing even close to this one thing. The Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? He was trying to explain this concept, this one thing, this legacy of one to this city in the church of Corinth. Corinth still exists. It's, it's a city now known as Peloponnese. It's in southern Greece. So he's writing this letter to this church there. And in the church, in a, in a way, they were arguing about the importance of their various legacies, which gift each of them had and which gift that they had was more important. And so Paul, Paul kind of wades into the argument. And he goes over the importance of each of those gifts and why God gives them to different people. But after he goes over this, he pauses and he goes, and yet, I'm going to show you a, a more excellent way. And with that, no other introduction. No other introduction. With that, he begins what's got to be the most famous paragraph. Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he writes. He speaks of this more excellent way. He goes... With all of those things that you could be focusing on, he goes, I want you to understand why you're all worried about all these things. You know, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, this is a legacy thing, okay? Some of you will be kind at my funeral and you'll get up and you go, oh, you know, Pastor John, he was a good speaker. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all of the mysteries and all of the knowledge, oh, I used to love to go to church at men and Pastor Johnny, he was really smart and he really helped me to understand the Bible. And if I have faith that can move mountains, I, mean, I would hope that my kids would stand up and say, you know, my daddy was such a man of faith, but I don't have love. I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I might boast, oh, my dad was so generous and kind, but I don't have love. I gain nothing. Paul's going, look, I think you're focused on the wrong thing. These things are all good, but they're temporary. They don't last and then he goes on to explain this. He goes, look, love, it's patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres or perseveres. By the way, if you get love, you get a lot of those other character traits. And love never fails. And now watch his conclusion. It's so profound. And now these three remain after it's all gone. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There are only three things that you can give your children that you can pass down to the people you love. Friends nieces, nephews. 
There are only three things that you can leave as an an inheritance for those that are going to come behind you that will help them in this life and be with them in the life to come. You realize what happens to you in this life goes with you into the life to become. You don't go through some spiritual car wash and we all come out the same on the other side. See, your kids, they won't need any of the other stuff. They're not going to need a hard work ethic in the kingdom of God. Most of what you and I want to leave behind for them is not coming with them anyway. Houses, cars, trust funds, all the way down to things like reputation. It all gets left. I mean, they're all good things. I want my kids to have every one of them, but they're not eternal things. Leave behind eternal things, and if you can only choose one, choose love. Here's why. I'm convinced of this as I thought about it. Check this out. Faith changes the way we live. I have faith, therefore I, I, I do the things God tells me to do. Hope changes the way we feel. I can live in a very broken world and not get so distraught and so hopeless because my hope is based on heavenly things. But love, love changes who people are. It changes, it changes, it transforms people. Which sounds, I know, I'm, look, I'm a preacher, right? Leave a legacy of love. Thanks, John. I mean, it's, it's patient and kind, right? Who wouldn't want to leave love? I know I'm not breaking any ground here. It sounds like a preachery thing to do, right? But let me ask you a question. Do you have any idea how to do that? Leave a legacy of love. How do I do that? Love people. Okay. What does that mean? Be kind to them? Well, uh, maybe. But that's not really it. See, I'm going to show you, I'm going to make it real for you, and this is what's been choking me up all week, because when you start to go, you start to get it, you go, "Uh uh-oh. If Paul's paragraph was the most famous paragraph in the Bible about love, then this story, and I guarantee, I guarantee you never saw this story as a legacy story before. This story Jesus is about to tell about how to leave a legacy of love in a real world is the most famous story in the Bible. But I want you to listen to the power of legacy and the power it has to transform human beings. Here's the background. Luke records that Jesus is is teaching this, and there's two kinds of people in the audience. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus, right? But um, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So this is an important detail. you got to know your audience, right? Any speaker knows that. Here we have sinners and saints. Here we have people who thought they were far from God and couldn't approach God because of the lives they lived. And you've got people over here who think they're very close to God and that they have access to Him because of the lives they lived. It's an important detail, right? Two kinds of people. And Jesus continues. He goes, there was a man who had two sons. And this is where it starts to get personal. Because it's really easy to read these stories until it's my sons. Right? Just saying that there's a man who had two sons leaves out a lot of detail, wouldn't you imagine? I mean, I was there when each of them was born. It's also frustrating that they're so much better looking than I, but that's another issue. I, I cut the umbilical cord for each of them. I've bathed them and changed them. I've fed them. I've done my best to provide for them. 
I have had dreams for each of those boys from before they were born. I, I, I remember one thing, I couldn't wait, I don't know if you're, if you're a dad and you have boys, but for me, I couldn't wait for them to be old enough to throw a baseball. That was like the thing. I just couldn't wait to be able to toss a ball with my son. I taught each of them how, how to throw. John always goes, thank you for that, because you'd be shocked how many people don't know. And we used to play baseball in the front yard together for hours, and then, and then the seasons would change, and we'd play football in the front yard for hours. You know, I've been to everything that they've ever done. I was there when John pole vaulted as a junior, his way to meet of champions, and, and it was kind of shocking. And I was there when he no-heighted his senior year, and sports in high school came to a sudden and unexpected and brutally sad end. I was there when Caleb pulled off the biggest upset in the state wrestling tournament in Atlantic City before thousands of people. And I was there the next match when his broken back went into spasms and he couldn't finish it. I helped them choose their schools. I helped them with their homework. I've literally held their heads as they've gotten stitched. I hopefully have helped them learn to be gentlemen. And like many of you, I've sacrificed financially as best as I could to help them go to the best schools that they could go to. I love those boys. I would do anything for them. You see, this is a story about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. There was a man, and he had two sons. And Jesus goes on, he says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Which when Jesus' audience heard this, both the saints on one side and the, the sinners on the other, they would have shared one thing, which would have likely been this audible gasp. You see, there were legacy issues in the first century too. Fathers wanted to leave a legacy then as now. They wanted to leave an inheritance. And here's how it always went in the first century. When the father died, Two-thirds of the father's estate, his legacy, went to the older son, and a third went to the younger. The older son had always gotten a double portion, but here's the key. This only happened when the father died. So when the younger son comes and says to his father, give me my inheritance, it was to the culture, basically him saying to his father, I wish you were dead. But here, like, come on, answer the story. You think that request came out of nowhere? Like, everything was fine. We were just playing in the yard five minutes ago. See, my guess is that something had happened. Maybe there had been some kind of relational breakdown and, and some arguments. Maybe things had built up a little bit. I mean, maybe there were rough times. Maybe it was because the son wasn't all that much like the father. And, you know, the older brother, he was such a do-gooder. And this son wasn't like him either. Maybe in the teen years, I've had two sons, maybe in the teen years things got difficult. I mean, the father was just trying to discipline the son. He was just trying to, trying to lead him in the way he should go. And, and so the son, he, he bristled under and he rebelled. Maybe words were exchanged. I've done that. Said thing I shouldn't have said. Words have a way of piling up. See, my, my, my guess is the request doesn't just come out of nowhere. Things were likely strained. And, and maybe the father was 
frustrated and disappointed. And the son felt judged and unloved, but there was a man who had two sons, and one of them would like his inheritance. Now, you know why? Because at this point, right or wrong, who knows what's gone on, but at this point, the younger son wants the father's things, just he doesn't want the father. See, he wants his father's wealth and his father's estate and his father's prestige and the comfort that it would afford him, but he just doesn't want his dad. He wishes his dad dead. Tim Keller, in a book that I can't recommend highly enough called Prodigal God, and I don't have enough time to get into all the facets of this story today, but, but what's happening here, he describes it so well. He says in the first century, that kind of request would have been unheard of. If the son's request was unheard of, then the father's response was unfathomable because in that culture, an ancient Middle Eastern father, he would have expected, you would have expected him to respond to such a request by throwing the kid out of the house, removing him from his family, right, with verbal, if not violent, blows. I've done that. Maybe not violent but verbal. Ha. Who the heck do you think you're talking to? You would disrespect me after all I've done for you? That's That's what I'd be thinking. That's what I've done. But not this dad. Jesus says, so... He divided his property between them. And Keller points out something fascinating. The Greek word here for property is the word bios. It, it, it means kind of the course of life, that, that, by, that by which life is sustained. It says the father divided his life between them. And in that culture, that would make a lot of sense because the father's land, right, his wealth, Everything he had was his land and estate. The only way to give the son a third of it was to sell his land. And in an agrarian culture like this was, right, where your land and how much you had it was so tied to your identity, you probably got it from your father who had given it down from his father. Your success and identity and achievement was all tied to it. If you lost your land, I mean, in a very real sense, you lost a part of who you were. The younger son is literally asking for his father, I want you to tear yourself up and give yourself to me. His worth and his achievement and his status, give it to him. And unbelievably, you would have to imagine quite painfully, the father does it. Now, I'm not breaking any new ground. You know the story. The son takes the father's inheritance, okay? He takes the legacy, all that the father worked his whole life for, and he gives it to the son. Even his son, even the reputation for the family goes out the window. Have you had a child take a reputation for your family out the window? I mean, he takes it and he literally squanders it. And guys, enter the story. He squanders it on everything the father has raised him not to do. Everything he taught him not to do. In many ways, at this point, the son could could not be living in a way that's more offensive 
any more maddening or grotesque to the Father than he is. Everything that is offensive and ungodly and sinful to the Father, the Son does. And not only is he doing it, he's paying for it with his Father's life work. As the saying goes, sin satisfies for a season, and it did before times change and the Son runs out of money and out of luck. And, you know, he literally becomes homeless and broke and broken, and his life is in ruins. And from a pig pen, he realizes what a fool he's been, and he comes up with the plan. You know it, a plan to go home to his father's house. Super important concept here. Somehow, and I don't know how, well, maybe I do. Somehow, he thinks he can still go home. I love what Keller points out about the story, which, which is home is not so much a place as it is a relationship, where you belong, where you're accepted, and he longs to go back home. And so the second part of his plan was this. He said, I'll set out and go back to my father, and when I get there, I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Dad, I'm not coming back to be in the family. I don't deserve to. I mean, I know what I did. I've come to my senses. I'm not looking for that. I blew that. And I'm not asking to be a slave. I'm just asking to be a hired man, like one of the workers that lives in town and comes and goes. He likely thought that maybe if he could work for his father, maybe at some point if he worked long enough and hard enough, he could begin to pay back the father for all that he owes. I mean, he's not dumb, right? He knows what he's done. Being sorry is not enough. And so he goes, look, I don't deserve, I understand. I'm not your son, I gave that up. I don't deserve sonship, but maybe if I work hard enough for long enough, I could pay you back what I owe you. And so that's the plan, he goes home. Jesus says, though, that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with. See, this is where if you want to understand how to leave a legacy of love, you have to let yourself feel this. Home is likely not even the same place the father had, had been. He's probably not going home to the same house because the father probably had to sell that house. Maybe the father's in a smaller home. Perhaps he's a bit on the outside of town now because he's a little bit of an outcast in the town because of what he let his son get away with. It's so embarrassing. And now after all of this, after what the son has been engaged in, he sees him coming, maybe out the window, and what is he filled with? I mean, what would you be filled with? Could you imagine? Wouldn't, be a, wouldn't there be a part of you that's just looking out the window going, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me, right? You probably heard about what had happened to the kid, and he sees him coming. you got to be kidding me. How dare you? Jesus says, though, that when the father saw him from a long way off, he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This father, this father not only has compassion, he runs to him. Middle Eastern men, estate owners, landowners, uh, patriarchs, they don't run. Children run, women run, fathers don't run. In order to run, he has to lift up his sashes and his robes. He has to expose his legs. It would have been considered around town embarrassing to do such a thing. The father embarrassed himself to, the, to run to the son who had embarrassed him. You catch that? 
There's just a complete emotional abandon. In the Greek, it says he fell on his neck. And the son, he tries to roll out a plan. He said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, who (laughs) wants no part of it, says to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and his sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Can I remind you of something? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. The scriptures say the father puts the signet ring, the family signet ring, back on his finger. That's how they signed contracts back in those days. You would, you would put the signet ring in ink and you would press it upon a contract. Essentially, the father is saying, he's back, my son is back, he's family again. The son's going, father, I don't want to be brought back into the family, I want to earn my way back in. And the father goes... I'm I'm not going to ever let you earn your way back in. I'm bringing you back in by sheer grace. I love you. Love changes people. It transforms people. It literally changes who they are. Now, if you're new to the church, I mean... Some people know this is just that story. It's a story about a younger son, a story about a son who loved the father's stuff, but not the father. And it resonates with a lot of us because so many of us, especially those of us in the church, we see others as prodigals and we long for them, some of our own kids to come home. And then there's others of us. Others of us this morning, we read this story and we see ourselves as the prodigal. And if you do, you need to understand the radical nature of this story. I mean, this is the kind of story that gets a guy crucified. What Jesus is saying is that no matter what you have done, no matter what, no matter how you have soiled the father's reputation, stolen from him, done everything that he sees and deems is wrong, you can come home. You're welcome home. But but here's the key. If you want to leave a legacy of love, you can't just memorize 1 Corinthians 13. You have to welcome people, especially prodigals, home. Your sons, your daughters, and all of God's. You love and accept. Don't email me. I didn't say approve. You love and accept everyone always to leave a legacy of love with those with whom you're going to try to leave an inheritance. They have to know that there is nothing, there is nothing they can do to make you love them more and nothing, absolutely nothing they can do to make you love them less. Nothing, nothing. Now, for most people, as I said, this is where the story ends. It should have. I mean, it's the classic three-part story, right? You have the introduction of the characters, and then there's a problem that is developed, and then there's a solution and a happy ending. The sun is home, the party's going. Mm. Jesus doesn't leave it there. 
because life isn't that easy, right? He's not done explaining how God loves us. He's not done explaining how we see God inerrantly. And he's not done explaining what it looks like to love kids. This is not just some sentimental story of God's love. It's Jesus trying to show everyone that almost everybody's suppositions and understandings about God are wrong. Remember, there were two kinds of people in the audience, right? Meanwhile, Jesus says, the older son was in the field. Oh, the other son. And of course, word gets back to him about what's happening. His brother's home, and his dad is throwing this incredibly expensive party. And the father wants him to come home too. But the elder brother is furious. I mean, you know why? Because the father has killed the fatted calf. The father is blowing everything that he has to celebrate this son coming home. And whose inheritance is that? The older sons, they're all getting burned up, right? He's furious about this. Come I mean, how dare you take it out of me? After all I've done, after, out of, it's coming out of my inheritance. Can you imagine how he feels? Jesus says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's so angry he won't even go home to the father's feast. It's now his turn to embarrass and insult his father. He's saying, well, I don't want any part of this family if this is the way it's going to work, right? I thought I was the heir. I should be it. If he's in, I'm out. He becomes so obstinate. And you know what the father did? This should sound familiar because he already did it once. So the father went out and pleaded with him. And he goes, the son goes, look. He doesn't even call him father. Look. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I slaved for you. I've worked for you. I obeyed you. Yet this son of yours, he didn't even call him his brother, this son of yours comes home and you kill for him the fatted calf. Do you know what that costs? I'm not coming home. Now stop and enter the story. This is for the father the greatest day of his entire life. His son is home, and he's invited the whole town to celebrate. Anybody could see how much this mattered to the father and his heart. The older brother could, but all the older brother sees is his inheritance going away for something that he didn't approve of. And this son then, too, reveals something very familiar. This son, too, does not really care about the father. He only cared about the father's stuff. He cares about the father's things. No different. Just a different approach. He, he doesn't care about the father's heart. He just wants his stuff. And he humiliates his father, too, on the greatest day of his life. And again, how does the father respond? A lot better than your pastor would. With so much love and compassion and understanding, with patience and kindness and gentleness, my son, he says, you're always with me. There's nothing you could do to make me love you more or less. And everything I have is yours. But we need to celebrate your brother was dead and he's alive. You see what's happening, guys? Two sons, one good, one bad, but both alienated from the father. Both not feeling love from the, the father. They both want the father's things, but not the father. They're both using them. One by being bad, one by being good. The older son, he thought the father's love, that his legacy of love, his inheritance was based on his performance. Have you done that? 
He didn't understand the father's love. He didn't understand his, his, the, the father's love, so he refuses to go home. The younger son, he thought his father's love was based on performance, and thus he thought he couldn't go home either. You see the irony? But the father's love was based on neither. This is the love that our father has for us. Even when he sees and knows our hearts, this is the legacy of love that we're to leave with those we say we love. You see, I mean, so many relationships are broken between parents and children. So many. If you want to leave a legacy of love, then your children, the people you, you love, they need to understand that if they've failed you or hurt you or walked away from you, if they've done things you don't approve of, over and over and over, your love for them is not based on what they're doing. They can always come home. You can always come home. You have to keep the path open. Not the place, but the path to your heart. If you want to leave a legacy of love, your children must know they don't need to perform for you. They don't have to stay in line. They don't have to live up to something in order to be loved by you. The older son, he wanted his father's legacy to be that in a sense. If you think what the older son wanted, he wanted his father's legacy to be fair. My dad was very fair. That's a good attribute, right? Hold it on that. Because <laughs> I, was I was flying home last night. I went to see Caroline. Um, run a race. And I was on one of these little regional airport planes, small plane. And I get on a plane. You guys can hold the music for a second because it'll be playing for longer than I want to. Um, I'm on this plane, right? And I, I get on the plane. The plane's half empty. And so I'm sitting next to this guy, and the guy gets out of his seat, and he sits down in the, uh, the emergency exit row. And so he gets all this extra leg room. You know what I thought to myself as soon as he did that? Well, that's not fair. If I knew you could do that... I would have taken that seat, right? Then you know what the guy does? The guy takes his mask off and pulls it down under his chin and falls asleep. Now, I don't care what anybody thinks about masks. All I cared about that at that point is, well, that's not fair. If I have to wear my mask, why doesn't he have to wear his mask? Right? And this is all happening just a few hours ago. Then, you know what the guy does? He dumps his seat back into my lap, right? My seat doesn't go back. You know what I thought to myself? Well, that's not fair. If I knew you could do that, I would have done that too. And then get this. The stewardess comes back up the aisle to put this stuff away, and the guy says to her, hey, I know you gave me water, but since there's no, nobody left on a flight, would you mind if you just gave me the whole bottle of water? She gives him the whole bottle of water. And you know what I thought to myself? Well, that's not fair. If I knew you could do that, I would have done that. And then here's the worst part. The guy now is sitting in my lap, and I don't know what he had right before he got on that plane, but whatever it was, he let it go. And you know what I thought to myself? I didn't think that. You people are gross. See, the older son wanted his father's legacy to be, he's fair. That wasn't it. The father's legacy was that he loves. He loves. The truth is, even the older son didn't really want the father to be fair. Because if the father was fair, the older son was in big, big trouble too because he didn't love the father. He didn't care about the father. He just wanted his stuff. It was the father, right? Did you catch that it was the father that did not wait for either boy to figure out on his own? He went to meet both of the sons where they were. This is what it looks like to hand off a baton of faith. You don't stand there and wait for somebody to come get it. You run with the baton of faith and you hand it off. That's what it looks like to love your kids. 
Jesus records it quite simply this way. He says, and I want you to think about the Father as you read this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in my love. Now you might go, well, wait a minute, you just said it's not about keeping commands to remain in love. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one this, to lay one's bios down for his friends. I no longer call you servants or hired men in the field because servants don't know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, sons. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. You didn't run to me. I ran to you. I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that'll last eternal. And just in case you didn't get it, this is my command. Love each other. Are you leaving a legacy of love? Make sure your kids feel it. Make sure they see you doing it to everyone everywhere and always make sure they can find their way home. Now let's sing. <laughs>